Welcome to The Lemonade Principle, a podcast for students and anyone interested in hearing from inspirational business speakers from around the world. I'm Chris Roberts, and in part two of our season finale with Nicholas Short, we dive right into the MBA and Nicola's advice for overcoming imposter syndrome, something I know a lot of people have experience of, and Nicola was really honest about her own. Nicola's a huge advocate for women in business, and we explore this, as well as the coronavirus pandemic, how she got her current role with Redo Group, spoiler alert, she met the founders while doing her MBA, and much, much more. Enjoy part two. Well, we touched on learning yeah. a little bit there as well, so why don't we okay. forward to your to your MBA and we're going to talk about um, your current yeah, role no um, after that um so you did you did yeah. the online MBA yeah. um, at Durham um, I think my first question really was okay. why an MBA so I was like um uh 47 when I did the MBA I'd wanted to do one since my 30s um but obviously I'd had children and then obviously remarried and was doing obviously I mean with the forum job there was no way I could have fitted in an MBA in doing that job and that was 24-7 job as it was and um, but in the back of my mind, there was this niggling thing about the MBA, and I think it links to the imposter syndrome. So mm. even though I've got this back catalogue of an amazing career, and I haven't really touched on some of the successes that we, you know, we created in there, but you know, obviously did have major success behind me, I still doubted myself. I still wasn't really as good as the next person I spoke to, and. And I think it stemmed from probably the disappointment that in my early 20s and my first degree, I'd come out of Sunderland with a 2 2. You know, I'd never been really that happy with that. And, um, mm. you know, and I always had that stigma internally. Not that anybody ever asked me what I got in my degree or anything, but internally I had that as well. And as you know, with imposter syndrome, mm. you know, I constantly would go through this. In fact, a girlfriend used this the other day and I really liked it. I wrote it down. I don't know if you do that or anybody else does that. I listen, I read all the time and I love saying, so I write them down when I like them. But she used a thing called crisis of confidence. And I think that actually is being a good, they're good words actually that, that describe me constantly going through this crisis of confidence and doubting my own accomplishments and this persistent fear um, of being a fraud but the fear you know this word that I've used quite a lot this fear mm. um, but what I did realize was when I was learning I was getting this energy from learning um, and Nick had obviously my husband had gone was still working but he was also um, had gone to do an MA in poetry so he's a lawyer and he's completely did a kind of diversion maybe we're both having a bit of a midlife crisis actually as well and he was off doing his poetry. And I was seeing how much he was getting from that. And I, I kind of wanted something for myself as well. So I was in a really fortunate position that I could work part-time. So I took a job helping another entrepreneurial lady out with her business, um, Gradvert. And we came up with an agreement that I would help her and then that would give me some time and then I could concentrate on my studies, which is what it did. And I think that for me, the MBA was something where it would provide um, structure and credibility and the learning and satisfy this sort of curious uh, nature that I had, but the polish, actually. And I think I felt like maybe I could come out there and say, I've really done that and I've done really well at it. And I think also, I think it gives you, what I mean by structure is, I think it gives you a structure and a framework 
that puts all of that experience into sort of an academic speak as well. Mm. So yeah, I think yeah. that's what an MBA does as well, isn't it? It, it makes yeah. you think in a yeah. slightly different and way. It, so it's hugely personal. Um, and my classmates do laugh because you know at the beginning it was just, uh, when everybody when the te- you know the Julie would have asked us all uh, what it was. Um, you know, I wanted to do the MBA and I, mine was all about learning. And of course, actually halfway through, I started thinking, oh, I could get a really good job out of this as well, couldn't I? <laughs> you know, So it was really funny how you do change because the more confident I became, the more like, oh, I could really use this, couldn't I? You know, so you do change in that journey as well. But it's important to say that we were the first cohort of the new online and taught MBA which had been reduced from three years to two, so quite challenging, and uh, really were a test bed for that. And uh, so we, um, so one of the powerful things that happened to us was we, uh, a lot of us that went for the first module, the first taught module, which is in the first week that we joined, um, which was leading and managing people, which was amazing. Um, that cohort really was the cohort that stay together so not all the cohort went for the taught options but that group that we met there they're all my friends still today and we carried that through we were a very powerful uh collegiate cohort which they'd never quite seen before actually I mean we did everything together mm. I mean even on our graduation you know we organized a massive dinner at the Hotel Divan and we had our own spoof award ceremony which was if anybody would like to have watched the video is actually horrendously funny um but uh probably only funny to us actually but yeah and that that's kind of and we go we, we still go and visit you know until we weren't able to travel mm-hmm. you know we've been to bulgaria we've been to sicily we've been to i've been to milan i've been to switzerland um you know to mm-hmm. the, i've had i've hosted some of the mbas here and um, um, because it's important, we're still trying to get to Roshan's and Mauritius. He ha- you know, we haven't let him off with that just yet. But you know, we we keep threatening. We're coming, we're coming Roshan to Mauritius on on mass. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I find it really interesting. I mean, as I say, guests on the show yeah. time and time again have said that they're in touch with the the, the students who were on their courses with twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Um, and I really hope that this whole COVID situation yeah. at the moment isn't going to limit yeah. that the current group because obviously they can't yeah. be together in person and I'm hoping that there's they find a way to yeah. connect I mean and we, we've always had to connect remotely anyway if you know what I mean because obviously we've mm. only ever um uh, you know we've had the whatsapp group and we've had um you know whether it's been um just whatsapp video or zoom so we've, we're used to that as a group mm. um and we've carried that we, we have been we've been um ringing each other every Saturday actually and then I've been in touch with um, individually with them we mustn't lose it because we're an incredibly powerful group because if you think about it of that particular group there's what 30 odd of us who um, are very strong together we're all in different industries we've all got different experience we've all got knowledge if any I was after something the other day that Nick needed um, and uh, you know one of the guys just came straight back and says oh I've got an example of that just like that that's how powerful mm. that group is. So my point is, you know, if you're mm. going to do an MBA, you're going to, you could be in it. Don't do it just for the qualification. Because mm. a lot of people were, you know, you know that, that whole getting the MBA and the kudos of getting the MBA. 
but there is so much more to it if you really think mm. about it and retake really that journey seriously um because we we you know people were very jealous you know some of the other cohorts and other years that joined they were so jealous of what we had mm. yeah um, and one of the things that if you don't mind me going back a little bit uh, you mentioned imposter yeah. syndrome a little bit and if i'm completely honest it's definitely something i, yeah. I suffered with myself you and it sounds like every time you start a new role, you give yourself yeah. a huge new challenge and day one is always, what the hell am I doing here? And and I can definitely relate to, to the whole, the first few weeks in a new job is, how did I pull this off? But um, there's bound to be students in the classroom now who are listening to this and thinking, yeah, I, I've experienced mm. something like that, or I am experiencing something like that. What would you say to them? Or, or how would you say that you've overcome well, it? Well, I think I, you know, I think what you have to do is... Um, what I used to do is I used to write down um, some of my positives, yeah, because we always focus on our negatives. It's a bit like a to-do list, isn't it? We always focus on those tasks that we didn't get done in the day, not the tasks that we actually really managed to get done and that were amazing as well. So you've got to write down your positives and, um, you know, you've got to uh, reflect on those achievements of, 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 of what, what, what's got you there in the first place. But I think you've got to recognise, understand what's making you fearful. Um, is it, so for me, I think I've just mentioned it before, you know, mine was always, um, you know, my strongest area isn't maths. I'm very honest about that. I think I've got dyslexia with numbers, you know, sometimes. But there I was, you know, chief exec of a company and actually in charge of the, you know, the balance sheet and profit and loss. So you have to, you have to work hard, you know, in those areas to try and overcome that fear. But then actually in that situation, I had an amazing mentor in, in Nigel to help me with that. So, you know, that, that entrepreneurial saying, work with people who are better than you in certain areas, recognize it. Don't fight mm -hmm. against those people. Don't be in competition with those people. Mm -hmm. They are your colleagues and they're gonna help you, but be sure, write down what you bring to the table and then they bring other things. And that team then working together can bring great things. So I've been quite interested by incremental innovation as opposed to just that word innovation, what does innovation mean? But if you, that, that in itself is incremental innovation because as a team of people making a difference, you can do great things with that. So then, then that's back to focusing on your real strength, which for me is people. So if I'm good at working with people, let's work with the people, let's bring things together. And so that, that's where, mm. where I've tried to work on um on myself as well um and and maybe saying actually um i quite like nicola Shaw, you know quite like her and uh she's quite good at what she does and you know maybe some days you might want to put on something positive in the car i think you need to surround yourself with positive people um and and that's where again you get energy and um and also back what i said was if you're then unsure about something in the workplace if you've got a strong network You've always got some people to go and ask, haven't you, about those things as well? Mm. I mean, to bounce around the the order yeah. of questions that I gave you before yeah. we started talking, I know you're also passionate about about yeah. women in business too, and you're a yeah. strong advocate. I mean, uh, how how would you say this relates um, to that conversation? Uh, well, yeah. that we've I mean, interesting. Imposter syndrome was mainly diagnosed as kind of like something that was much more prevalent in women, actually. So about seventy percent of women kind of suffer from it, but actually. 
they say now something like 50 percent of men are but i think that's the world that we live in is changing and the workplace is changing as mm. well i think uh you know i think women it's still tough for women you know if you think about uh me finishing the mba it's still not easy for me to take on the big job is it because actually i I'm still very, very attached to making sure my family are brought up correctly as well. Yeah. And, you know, my husband works a lot in London also, not, not so much now, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think we, we as a woman, I, we have that in us. And it's very difficult for us then to work at the late nights. And, you know, so I, I remember in this job I'm doing now, you know, it's winter. I'm all in it in the office. I think oh, I really want to like, I want to read up on that when I get home tonight. I might just do a little report on that, summarize it. And then, you know, you get stuck in traffic, you're getting in the door at seven o'clock. Like I said, everybody's looking at you for food. The dog's looking at you for food. He wants to go out as well. <laughs> you're like, whoa. And then of course it's nine o'clock and you haven't done that thing you've set out to do, have you? And maybe that's just for me, um, you know that you not to give yourself a hard time because you're still when you're there at work you you're doing great things as well you bring other skills um to the makeup but I but what I what I'm really intrigued by is um women going back in their 50s actually because actually now as my children are getting older I've got all this experience to give now and have got the time to be able to go to work as well and I think um, actually there's loads of great inspiration out there where you are seeing women in their 50s etc um, actually going back and giving a lot back to a workplace um, and I'm you know, a real advocate of that. Mm. Do you think the situation now with, um, with coronavirus and everybody working from home or everything that's happening now do you think that's going to have an impact on that and kind of change the landscape yeah i think a little so bit? because um actually um if you just think from a, a government perspective and, and stuff so you know the the examples of um the countries that have done who are doing really well through covid uh guess what kind of leader they have woman. <laughs> and uh, very true so take the new zealand the denmark I know Germany's had a little bit of a wobble again this week, but, you know, they've had really, I mean, Nicola Sturge in Scotland, I, I really admire her. I think she's a really strong leader. Um, it, it is what you need at the moment. You need really strong, decisive, but also you see, it's okay, there's one thing happened, the medical evidence, but the women listen to the people and the, the, the women are kind of responding to the needs of the people and the safety of the people as well. And if you take the boardroom, for mm. example, you know, um, the woman's always going to have read the board papers, doesn't she, before the men. And um, But also around that table, you know, the men may be thinking, so if it's a PLC, the, man, the men may think of short-term uh, uh, gains and, um, you know, shareholders. But um, the woman's going to think about the stakeholders and the people involved mm. in that. And I think the two, you know, they, 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 they complement each other. So I think there's a role, sorry to answer your question, long-winded way of saying that I think the role of the woman um, will shine through this because actually, as we're working in these remote environments, um, we still need, how do we care for people, yeah, in the remote environment? And the woman mm. 
can, has an innate ability to be able to do that and to look after people um, mm. remotely. So, but also the actual um, the the punctuation of the day, not having to travel to work, etc., um, is helping the woman to be at work, be at home, um, and to work at home because they haven't mm. got all of that going on, and also um, their partners may be at home as well. So you've got the support network as well. I mean, mind you, they can bring mm. uh, cleaners back as a key worker, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, it's all right. I'm coping at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this whole situation is probably a real eye-opener for a lot of people. I mean, everybody's yeah. working from home. Everyone's trying to juggle full-time jobs yeah. and childcare at the same time. Everyone's yeah. playing diary Sudoku and trying to make sure. And, and there's probably a question there about the change in kind of yeah. gender roles that are happening in the home yeah. and that. you know you, you but again what you see is it's put it puts everybody on the on a level playing field yeah so mm. everybody like you say everybody's at home working with the same pressure i think um the issues going forward are because this is going to be longer term than people thought originally is mm. i think the issue that we have is is that the lines are being blurred so when does work start and when does home life start in the home working situation mm. yeah so i found even nick's getting up now like you know we get we get up very early we've always got up early but we're still getting up at six o'clock and stuff and he's like starting at his desk mm. at half seven now if he was in london he wouldn't be get, getting in the office till nine o'clock yeah and then of course the phone's still mm. ringing at seven o'clock and stuff at night so i think that's the challenge really for perhaps um the woman in the in the household going forward with the children and the and the, the homeschooling is is obviously a little bit of an issue but i think the what workplaces have realized is they can trust people to work from home they have no choice actually they've had mm. to um but then as as because we've got technology and this is where technology plays the role technology has allowed us to be connected and to um you know, a, a, a allow for this environment to happen. Um, and so, you know, what I think going forward is we won't need massive office blocks. Why do we need massive office buildings? Because actually we can have people working from home. And, and so we don't need to, you know, in the good old days, you have to buy this massive office block because you don't know how much you're going to grow. And that would also could be, you know, uh, strangle a company actually because they would overexpose themselves as mm. well. Well, maybe we don't need to do that now. I know a colleague of mine, um, uh, he, um, a colleague of mine, um, he had actually done a home, he had done an MBO with a business and he had already seen this about home working um, because they didn't want to move out of where they were uh, in terms of, and they'd already grown just to about 110 employees anyway. And they put this policy in and they saw A, it had a massive effect on productivity and B, they could. They didn't have to overexpose themselves with another move, another financial move into a bigger building, etc. Mm. And what goes with that? Mm. So, yeah. I mean, why don't we bring it up to um, to current current day as well? I mean, we haven't okay. spoken about your current role yet. So you're currently the managing director That's at right. Redo. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we kind of lead on from the coronavirus conversation yeah. into that? Uh, okay. Uh, maybe tell us about what your role is first of all but then the yeah impact that it's made okay out. so um i met the guy so i worked for two founders um, um gary um, and sam and they run a company called redo group and i got to meet them while i was doing my mba so 
so that's another thing I would actually just bring back to the MBA, if I may, mm. is that I, uh, do you remember I said that I always like to make it really hard for myself? So every time I had a module to do, I would also go, uh, if, if it was based on a company, et cetera, or something within a company, I would always go and seek another company to do um, the module on. Yeah, not just focus on where I was working at the time or where I had worked. So on the strategy module, which I absolutely loved, by the way, as well, another really well taught module, but it's so vast. I mean, you could go back through that five times over and there'll still be more to learn, you know. Anyway, so I goes to um, a, a, so somebody I'd met through the, the, the Entrepreneurs Forum, so going back to my network. I said to Neil um, Stevenson, look, I, I really want to work with, a I had it in my brain that I needed to work with a digital organisation. I'd never really been exposed to the whole digital um, framework um, in my other jobs as well. And I really want to work with a digital business that's consumer orientated, because bearing in mind, I'd be quite B2B as well, um, especially in that entrepreneur's um, experience. And he said, oh, I've just got the company for you. He was chairman of... Um, redo group he still is actually and um made an introduction and there i was actually doing um the, my strategy module and, and working out a strategy for reader group so i got to know them in like 2018 fast forward um they done um some innovation around a, a new product if i just i'll tell you what they do actually that's probably a good starting point um so they are or were because obviously things have changed with the pandemic. Um, one of the UK's biggest uh, shopping influencers, uh, working in what's called the market affiliate industry. Um, so at the time they had a, well, they do still have a consumer facing brand that has over a million followers, but collectively across the eight uh, products that they have. So Reader Group is the kind of brand behind the brands. Yeah, so the consumer facing brands have obviously different names. Um, there's about 2 million followers um, and in the market affiliate space obviously they, the brand Ashley Money Saver will publish uh, deals and discounts to the audience. The audience is mainly female, it's uh, around sort of 25 to 44 year olds. They've got a, uh, approximately two children and they will be um, of a lower income um, and so therefore deals and discounts on branded products um, is really important to them, you know, so it helps them to save. We're about saving money on, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, non-essential spend, actually, and essential spend, because we also bring amazing deals and discounts on essential items also. Um, so the guys have been hugely successful, um, and uh it's a national brand as well. So whilst obviously they're based in the Northeast, it's also national. Um, the, mm. the way that you make money in the affiliate world is I, um, we, so actually Money Saver would publish um, a, an offer on behalf of a, a brand, a retailer. And if the um, customer clicks on that and it takes it through to that retailer, then um, obviously it drops a cookie. And if they, um, that, consumer buys that item or goes and buys something else within that website of the retailer we earn a, a commission through what's called the affiliate network but that brand has to join an affiliate program yeah first and foremost so john lewis mm -hmm. or whatever would join the affiliate program or 
some of the brands that we deal with like Argos or uh, Asda etc and um, that has been a hugely successful model yeah so they'd run that for so I'm it's been six years now but obviously I'm getting to know them when they're sort of four four years in last January they they went through innovation to bring another side of the business to market which was called reward me now and that was in an app so what it did was it, it was a membership-based um, application. You would join this, um, you'd buy the membership to have this app, and that would give you even further deals and discounts in a closed group environment to retailers. So, you know, you could have anything in there from Just Eat to B&Q to Argos to Topshop, et cetera. It's brilliant. It's really easy to use. But what it needs is it needs population to it, you know, to be able to commercialise it to the degree in which um, you need it to go. Um, so I came in at a point where they launched that innovation and there was a sticking point. So they wanted just some help and I did some workshops with them just to unravel where some of the problems were. You know, we, took, we went back through the customer journey, what it was about, its purpose, how it fitted in with the portfolio the key strengths etc and out of that came some planning um, and that just got me to know the guys even further in the business and out of that came the opportunity where um, um, I became their MD in May 2019 so just a month after finishing the MBA actually so there I am again in an industry <laughs> I haven't worked in digital. I've not really been consumer orientated other than my days in tourism and the building society to, to yeah. And um, and then of course, I'm now in, in an, another industry of market affiliates, which again, I knew nothing about. But I've done a lot of, through the strategy module, I've done a lot of research on that as well and got to know it. But, but, but you know, you mm. have to, you've got to go and learn about the industry that you're in, haven't you? That's another key, that's, that's really important. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a player in the industry you have to understand the dynamics of how it works and the economics of how it works as well um if you want to bring it right back to mba it's a bit like porter's five forces you know it's a net it's an you, if you look at the environment it has a network effect so uh, the bigger the audience mm. the more retailers want to speak with you the more that you make money you know the more that uh, obviously it attracts mm. more people to come to you but it's a positive sum market there's room for many actually um mm. in there and um but also it's um extremely competitive so one of the key areas that i was focusing on was 70 percent of the business model was obviously the core engine of, of what we did what we've done for five to six mm. years but you should you can't be complacent you've constantly got to be sharpening that pencil you know sharpening that mm. core offer looking at the training that you're doing with the staff looking at the people that you're employing looking at the skills on there and um, constantly watching the data i mean the brilliant thing about what the founders have done with this um organization which set them apart from the competitors was really the the, the kind of analysis engine behind it that it was built on um, which no, you know, which smaller players couldn't. They didn't have that that level of sophistication. They'd really built out a tech platform and really believed in tech and what it brought to you. And and eventually, and essentially, that's what they are. They're a tech organisation, which which are front end, customer facing, you know, um, marketplace. Mm. But behind it is a lot of um, a lot of tech. 
and it's fascinating mm. and you know there's just so much there's just a wealth of information sitting in there one of the biggest challenges really is moving that audience into being not just followers in facebook and obviously facebook being a channel that you're not in control of it is in control of itself and mm. obviously fluctuates with when they change algorithms etc so the big move was obviously to move to more of a subscriber based um audience as well to complement both the core uh, side of the business and um, and reward me now presented that opportunity but interestingly in the last 12 months reward me now became actually what is known now today and it's all, it, this is like back to innovation it can start off in one place but you have to be open to change and listening and watching the market but actually what it ended up being is a very successful employee benefit application so it's a, it's a, mm. so now it's been sold as in fact you know sold it's free for employees to take as an employee benefit app and it's fantastic so i can if you wanted it for durham for example it could be branded for durham and all the employees of durham university could have it and get access to all these deals and discounts in this closed group environment um, and that's a nice you know thing for employees to have and it doesn't cost the employer anything mm. whereas some of the competitors charge mm. a subscription fee for these facilities so that's yeah. in essence what what redo does and that sorry it's quite complicated yeah. so sorry to be a bit long-winded about it but i think it's good to get an insight into how a market yeah. affiliate business actually works mm. yeah listen we've covered um, a lot of a lot of stuff in this conversation and i really appreciate yeah. you taking the time out of the podcast uh, one thing i always ask guests on the show is what advice would you give to, to students in the classroom now, whether they're doing a master's or an MBA, what would you say to them that they, they can be focusing on now, things they can be doing now? Yeah, I think um, self-learning is really important. So um, I've, uh, in, in the COVID um, situation now, obviously I'm actually, um, you know, being furloughed. Um, but that that's just because obviously we're in, um, you know, survival mode of, of the company. And actually, I'm really glad to say the company is actually doing really well. Um, it's, um, you know, I think, but, but what I haven't done is sort of stepped away from that business. And I'm not, I'm still reading about the industry. I'm still watching the trends and retail. I'm still looking at what some of the competitors are doing because I'm, I'm interested in it. You know, I'm, I've, because actually mm. when I go back to it, you know, I want to be, uh, uh, understand where its position is actually and what, what else is going on. Because actually one of the things you've got to have, uh, one of my biggest advices, is you've got to have an antenna on, haven't you? Um, don't just become internalised into what you're doing. You've got to have some kind of outward uh, arena of, of information going on and, and where you go to get it, but also to interact with that arena as well. And that, that is probably one of the things is it's difficult in this environment, isn't it? Because one of the things I would have said pre-COVID is get out and network. Um, but that how do you do that mm. in a non, um, you know, kind of uh, public gathering environment <laughs> as we find ourselves in? Mm. So, but that goes back to, well, how do you build networks, you know, across an online um, uh, presence? And therefore in the MBA itself, the MBA itself provides a... a framework to be able to you know to they're a connector aren't they the MBA provides a kind of because you've already got the um, online system there 
So, and you've already got the people who have come to do the MBA. So you haven't even got to go and find them. They're already within that community. Disconnect mm-hmm. with them and, and bring those groups together. And if somebody isn't bringing the group together, well, why don't you be the person that brings the group together? So I used to lead the kind of Northeast one for our group because we were fortunate. There was a few of us in Northeast, like Yorkshire area where we could meet together. And I was um, quite gung-ho about making sure that we always set dates and where we were going to meet and the timings of those because I recognised that if somebody just didn't do it, we just wouldn't have met up, you know. I even organised, you know, a little Christmas Mm. night out for us and went to see Star Wars and had a little something to eat just to make it a bit fun rather than us all talking about our MBA. But that that wealth of knowledge uh, that we shared during those sessions, you know, we weren't colluding um, at all. We were just just trying to help each other understand and I think that's my biggest advice is you know do help people because the feeling when you help people is so amazing you know have a I've got a real philanthropic side to to my nature and that came very much out of seeing the the entrepreneurs in the entrepreneurs forum and how much they selflessly helped Mm -hmm. each other because they'd been through those experiences and they wanted to share them and I try and do that on a daily basis um, you know, because it's really important. Mm. It's really important to not be so selfish. Mm. Well, it's Nicola. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time yeah, to be on the podcast. No That's great advice um, to end it on. Um, and we've covered a lot there, and it's it's all really interesting and really oh, helpful. Good. So I well, that. I've um, really enjoyed uh, talking about my experience, and um, you've helped me overcome my imposter syndrome. And um, because obviously what I've done is I've reflected on, on all the positives, Chris, haven't I, uh, during that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's been very difficult, um, uh, you know, in, in a situation where you're not working and you're used to working every day. Um, and, you know, uh, but we will, I mean, we're all um, riding the same storm, uh, but we are in different vessels. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's back to the advice. And... Um, but our, our experience and um, our knowledge and, again, how we talk to people. But we will learn uh, through all of that how to navigate our own vessel. Um, and, you know, I think the guys that we do are doing incredibly well. I mean, they're true entrepreneurs uh, at heart. They, they are so resilient and they are changing things by the minute because that business will survive you know they are in charge of that vessel so whilst um, environmentally at the moment there's so much that we're not in control of you kind of just have to keep control of what Mm. you are in control of Mm. Mm. I wish you the best for future good luck um, riding the wave at the moment and good luck to you and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity Thanks again to Nicola Short for joining me for the final episode of the series. We covered a lot of ground and I really want to say thank you to Nicola for her openness when talking about issues like imposter syndrome. I don't know about you, but I could really relate to this idea of the fear and the crisis of confidence. There were some great tips in there for overcoming imposter syndrome and I hope that's something you can take away from the episode if you're experiencing something similar yourself. It was brilliant to have someone so passionate about the Northeast on the show for the final episode of the series. And Nicola's a real example of what you're going to achieve when you're not afraid to pivot and grasp opportunities. Like she says, when your back's against the wall, you do great things. I also want to say a huge thank you to everyone that's listened to the podcast over the last few months. 
and to every single guest that's joined me. It's been a real privilege to speak to so many amazing people from all around the world during the series, and even more so to have so many of you take the time to listen. I'm Chris Roberts, and I'll see you again soon.